Okie dokie, if I can uh, draw your conversations to a close, that'd be great. Uh, I'd just like to uh, just extend the, my welcome. Uh, good morning to you all, good morning, good morning. Happy Father's Day to, I was going to say you all, but it's, it's not to you all, to some of you here. Um, for those of you who don't know, my name's Adam, um, I, uh, I'm uh, one of the members here at Woodside. And uh, it is a privilege again to be sharing God's Word with you here this morning. Uh, We are carrying on our series today uh, with regards to Jesus, the Game Changer. Have you enjoyed this series so far? It has been a good series, hasn't it? Absolutely. Um, Today we're looking at the... uh, We're looking at... the Today's preachers from a remarkable and unique event which happens in chapter 9 of the book of Luke... Uh, of Luke's Gospel, but is also contained in both of math, in the book of Matthew and in the book of Mark. Um, and that is the Transfiguration. Um, and hopefully today we're looking at uh, the Transfiguration in the context of uh, a Father's Day message. Um, so let's make a start. The Transfiguration, which we'll get to in a minute, occurs uh, at, at a time when many around Jesus would have thought it was something of a crescendo, a highlight, a kind of high point of Jesus' ministry. This is kind of really important to contextualise when the transfiguration takes place. See, Jesus has already called 12 disciples to him, 12 men with whom he shared his life with. He has taught them, he has encouraged them, he has shown them miraculous and wonderful things. He has personally prayed and seen the dead come to life, Those that were sick at the time that have come to him, he's healed them all. He's sent out those 12 disciples that he called to him. He's sent those out and others as well. Uh, And under the authority that he has given them, they too have seen the sick healed. They too have seen those afflicted just released. They too have seen some miraculous things all through his authority. Further miracles have happened just preceding this in the book of Luke. We see the feeding of the 5,000. 5,000 people fed with five loaves and two fish. And then at a key moment in the Bible, Peter, one of his disciples, openly proclaims that he believes that Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the one that the Jews have been looking for. Waiting for the one that is coming back. That He believes, Peter, that Jesus is God. See, we're at this point, this crescendo of ministry. From the outside looking in, it is remarkable. It is amazing. From the outside looking in, you think, this can only go one place. This kind of domination of Jesus across Israel, over into the nations. But to be honest, in terms of Jesus' ministry, it is a crescendo by all the kind of outward, all the outward appearances but we're also at a personal burden. The burden of the cross, the highlight of this, is also at a crescendo. There is an outward crescendo, and there's an inward burden that is raising up as well. And this is the, this is the situation which we encounter, uh, this event of the transfiguration, which I'm just going to read to you now. It says here in Luke, and this is the NLT, It says, about eight days later, 
Jesus took Peter, John, and James. The later is a later context of Jesus teaching the disciples. He took them up on a mountain to pray, and as he was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared and began talking with Jesus. They were glorious to see. And they were speaking about this exodus from this world, which was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. Peter and the others had fallen asleep. When they woke up, they saw Jesus' glory and the two men standing with him. As Moses and Elijah were starting to leave, Peter, not even knowing what he was saying, blurted out, Master, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Those of you who don't know, they are huge characters in the Old Testament. Huge pillars, patriarchs of uh, the Jewish faith at the time. But even as he was saying this, a cloud overshadowed them. And terror gripped them as the cloud covered them. Then a voice from the cloud said, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice was finished, Jesus was there alone. They didn't tell anyone at that time what they had seen. So Jesus carried the burden of the cross at this time. See, for as long as Jesus knew about the cross, and we're not sure at what point Jesus knew about the cross, But Jesus, when he started his ministry, certainly knew about what the cross meant, about what he had to do in the context of the cross. There was a burden that came with that, that grew greater and greater. This point now of the transfiguration, we're probably only a couple of months away from Jesus' actual crucifixion on the cross. Indeed, this burden of the cross, this shadow of the cross, you can almost see it coming through in the text. If you look at the the two um, kind of sections preceding the transfiction in the book of Luke, you see Jesus teaching his disciples, and he teaches them two specific things. The first thing he teaches them is that he is going to suffer, that he is going to be rejected by man, and that he's going to die at man's hands only to 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 rise again. He's talking to his disciples about his death. The other thing he talks to them, the disciples, he talks to them, he says, after this event, after my death, he talks to them about they're going to have to, they're going to face a life with many challenges. And they're going to need to take up their cross daily. That's where that phrase comes from. They're going to have to carry the weight of their own challenges just as he is carrying the weight of the cross and his challenges. See, the outward looks great. The outward ministry looks amazing. But it hides an inner burden that Jesus is carrying as he's making his way towards the cross. The reality of the cross was something that Jesus lived with for a long part of his life. He knew the Old Testament teachings. He knew. He knew the Torah. He knew those books. Uh, It wouldn't have been books of the Bible then. They'd have been written down probably on scrolls or passed through verbally. He knew those teachings. He knew even just the book of Isaiah would say that he would be spat and beaten. He knew the book of Isaiah would say that he would be disfigured beyond any recognition of a human. Imagine having that 
said over you. Imagine knowing that that was going to be your destiny, that the cross was going to be such that you wouldn't even be recognized anymore as a human. That was the, that was the scale of the beating. He knew that he would be abandoned by those closest to him. He knew that he would bear our sins. And he was, and he was the voluntary kind of volunteer. That he was the one that would accept the guilt and punishment for our sins. He knew all of this. And he carried this with him. He carried the burden of this each and every day that he knew about it. I love the way we preach Christ crucified. I am always marveled at Christ's life preceding crucifixion. That he would stay pure, holy, faultless, despite carrying the weight of that. It's remarkable. So when Jesus goes up to the mountain with the three disciples, of which he's got a close relationship with, it's not a stretch to say he went up with this burden. The transfiguration happens in the context of this burden. He went up there facing suffering, rejection, death, and even separation from his father. And his father knew that. His father knew that. And then we get this remarkable and amazing moment while the disciples are sleeping. And Jesus in that moment is changed. That's what transfigured means. It means you change appearance. Instead of this human being in front, we have this heavenly being. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became like white. And in the context of holding this burden, his father says these words. This is my son, my chosen one. You see, the transfiguration was a declaration of love from a father to a son. It was a statement of love. He was saying to his son, in the midst of the hardest hours that he will face, amongst the hardest hours, that you are loved. That God the Father, the Father of Jesus, takes great pleasure and great delight in his son. That his son, that Jesus, gives the Father great delight and great pleasure. It is a declaration of love. It's a declaration that when the Father looks at the Son, he admires and cherishes all that he sees. It is, it is the words of a proud and loving Father to a hurting Son in the midst of his anguish and dread. It's remarkable. My Son... My chosen one, my son. You can hear it. You can hear his love for the son in this moment. One of the things I want to draw your attention to is that possessive pronoun, my. For Jesus, it is a reminder of where he comes from, of who he is, of who he belongs to. And the, the, the prayer that came out in the worship, that we would not be alone Jesus knew he belonged because the Father told him he belonged. The Father was constantly reminding him who he belonged to. It is a word which communicates intimacy, love, care, kindness, and compassion. He's saying, you're my son and I'm your father. It is a reminder of love. 
in the midst of, the, of impending hatred. The Father knew what was coming. Jesus knew what was coming. It is hatred and rejection. And the Father is saying, you are loved. You are loved and you belong. For the disciples, it confirms once and for all who this man Jesus was. As I said, verses previously, Peter's already declared that he believed Jesus to be the Christ, the one that will save his people. And now the Father is showing them. It is a public confirmation from the Father saying Jesus is exactly who he said he was. It's acceptance in the midst of impending rejection. So this transfiguration is this amazing declaration of acceptance and love from the Father. Why? Because this is what fathers do. This is what dads do. This is what we do as fathers. We remind our children that they belong. We remind our children that they are loved. We remind our children that they are accepted. And we remind our children that their life brings great joy and fulfillment to our lives. It's not one way. You know, the reality is, sorry, this in itself brings incredible comfort and joy to a son or a daughter and lets them know that they are loved unconditionally. You know, the reality is that everyone kind of walks around with a hole in them that needs filling by belonging, love and acceptance of a loving mother and father. For some children, they, they, don't, they don't hear it enough. Some of you here, you didn't hear it. You might have heard some of it. Some of you here, you're sitting here thinking, I'd heard loads of it. But the reality is, is we've all got that hole in us that needs filling. You know, for children, most of the time, and I've worked in schools now a long time, I see it when I'm in schools. I see that need for love and that need for belonging in children that sometimes don't get it. Sometimes they don't even know what it is they're missing. They just know they're missing it. It's something that they need. It's why they can look for it in other places. But let us as fathers and mothers remind our children often, say to our children, you know what, you are loved. You belong to me as a son or a daughter unconditionally. Let us, let us be those that declare that with our voices. You know... When I was preparing this, one of the questions I asked myself is, don't I think, didn't Jesus know that? You know? Didn't Jesus know he was loved by the Father? Didn't Jesus know he belonged to the Father? I'm sure he did. He still needed to hear it. He still needed the Father to speak it. Now, we've got to be the same. We want to be the same. It's one of the most effective ways that we can build God's kingdom in the lives of family. It displays completeness to a broken world. It mirrors God's love for his son and his love for us. You know, every night, every night I pray with my children. Luckily, she's just walked out, so she can't, uh, she can't deny this. You know, she can't sit there and go, hey, what? Pray? You know, listen, you... 
Every night, you know, uh, I pray with my children. I say to them, and I'd say, to, I'd say this to them, I say, I love you, and you're my daughter, and I thank God that, you, that he brought you into our family. Because I want them to know. I want them to know that this is, this is how unconditionally they're loved. And even when our children push back against it, a father and mother who remain steadfast in, in their love and reminder to our children that they are our children makes a remarkable difference. And it's not just with our words, even though our words are so important. It has to be combined with our actions. Our children need to see that in our actions as well. Saying it with words is important, but, but children seeing it resonate in our actions is similarly vital. And this, this can be tricky sometimes, especially with some of the pressures that we face as fathers, mothers, you know, especially time. Time's a real challenge sometimes, challenge for me sometimes. I find myself busy a lot. So I'm sure my children hate that word, hate the word busy. They hear it a lot from me. I'm really sorry I'm busy at the moment. We've got to try and be good with that. I've got to try and be better with that. Time, my job commitment sometimes, my church commitment sometimes. Our children need to hear that they are loved, that they belong, that they are cherished and adored. They need to see it with our actions as well. The second thing the transfiguration does, it is a, it is a declaration of, of love from a father to encourage and strengthen his son for what lies ahead. So it's a declaration of love in its, in its first instance. And just that in its first instance. But then beyond that, there is a purpose to it. Just to be clear, the declaration of love is not for just the purpose that would undermine the cherished nature of why God the Father is saying it to the Son. But there is an additional purpose with it. He says, my son, my chosen one. Not only is this a declaration of love, It is also the incredible act of a loving father strengthening and equipping his son for the last days of his daily carrying the burden of this cross. In fact, when you consider the nature of the transfiguration, I'd suggest, amongst other things, there are three things in particular that specifically do this. So you get this image of Jesus being glorified, of Jesus being made into this heavenly kind of person that he will be once he has died and risen again and and is now. Jesus being glorified, it says his face shone like the sun. It was a reminder to Jesus that death wasn't going to be the end. That That a greater glory after death waited for him. It was that. In that context of that burden, the Father's reminding him this, this is what happens after. I know you know this. He's now showing Jesus. Glory, sitting in heaven with the Father on the right hand. This is what comes. It's incredible encouragement to Jesus. He says, my son. It was a reminder that he belonged to a father who called him his son. That he was with him and that he was going to be with him right into the end. So it was a reminder that through the avalanche of rejection that he's facing and going to face, that there is one unwavering, unswerving voice of acceptance. 
when everyone else will reject him, God, up until that final moment on the cross, is there with him. And then beyond. And then the third thing it does, he says, my chosen one, was a reminder that he alone, that Jesus alone had been chosen for this, had volunteered for this. And only he could accomplish it. The effect of all this helps encourage and strengthen Jesus in a most profound way to face the final days, to face the cross where he would die as a sacrifice for my sin and your sin. So when our children face difficult times, it's knowing and hearing the love of a father and a mother that can be a defining moment that sees them through it. You know, when I was preparing this, one of, those, one of the things I felt God speak to me about was rejection. That our children will face rejection. That some of us are feeling that now. I felt that. That carrying the burden of rejection. Maybe that rejection is for us. Maybe that rejection is for our own children. It might be Friendships. Might be job applications, relationships, university applications. The unconditional love, acceptance, and encouragement from a father and a, mo- and a mother will be an incalculable encouragement in these times for our children. Like a father, what I tr- what I try and do, and my wife was telling me about this yesterday. I didn't like the phrase, so I wasn't going to use it, but I guess now I am, so she wins. Um, she says, because my wife does the parenting course here at Woodside, um, and, she's, and I was talking to her about this, and she said, yeah, we, in the parenting course, um, we call it the love bank. I'm like, I'm not using the phrase love bank. So I've now just used it, and if anything, I've given it extra emphasis. Which I um, you know, we, we build up a credit in our children of love, encouragement, acceptance, adoration, that they are cherished. So when they come to those tough times, they've got something there, you know, that just sees them through that. That we don't just prepare that for the tough times, that we have it in anticipation of the tough times. Not just to fulfill a purpose, like we're talking here, but because first, in our first instance, that we love and cherish our children like the father loves and cherishes the son. But also, in the second instant, instance, that he encourages them through those tough times. Having that in there, the unconditional love and acceptance of a mother and a father, helps do that. It really does. I know that personally. The second thing we can do is let us be fathers and mothers who encourage our children often. Again, coming back to this, my son, my chosen one. It is encouragement. One of the things, I'm not going to go into encouragement, I preached on that, I think, uh, a year or two ago. But one of the things I do want to encourage us to do is one of the things I try and do with my my children is I I try not to just encourage them when they they do well. You know, I, I do encourage them when they do well, don't get me wrong. But what I like to encourage is their character, which aligns with how God would want them. So, for example, when my children are generous, you know, one of my children, they're all, my, all my children are generous, but one of them is particularly generous. If she ever got some food, she'll always say, 
do you want some? You know, if that's asparagus, I don't want it. You know? <laughs> if that's a fruit pastel, then I'm in. You know? But she'll offer me the asparagus and the fruit pastel. She's really generous. And I say to her, sweetheart, you're so generous. Thank you. One of my children is very faith-filled. We've been through quite a tough time at the moment as a family, um, with one thing or another. And, uh, and my, my, my youngest daughter, she's so confident in God. She's like, whatever you say, she'd be like, yeah, but, yeah, but God's, yeah, but God's. And she, it's almost like she's preaching to us sometimes, our four-year-old. I say to her, sweetheart, you've got so much faith. Don't, don't lose that. Okay, okay. <laughs> one of my children is really, uh, yeah, all my children are all these things, but one of them recently is really courageous, did something on a diving board. They wanted to jump. Uh, if you've been to Robinson Pool, there's three tiers of diving board, a, a ridiculously high one that no one should go anywhere near, a middle <laughs> one, and a lower one. So I, they, they can all swim now, so well, two of them can. So I said, well, why don't you go on the lower one? So... So she did. She got on the low one, jumped off it into the water. That's brilliant. And then she came up. She goes, I said, why don't you go on the middle one? She goes, oh, I couldn't do that. I said, you could do that. She went, oh, I could do that. Then she got out the pool, and then she walked up this diving board. And I saw it. <laughs> and she had to stay there for ages because someone else it was taking far too long. You know, I almost feel my righteous anger as a father kind of... Come on, jump. Let me do it. And, uh, and she did it. She jumped. Jumped straight in. I didn't say to her, oh, well done for jumping in. I said, well done. You're really brave. You're really courageous. Let us encourage our children. Encourage them for the good things they do. But let's encourage them for their character that aligns with God's. I'm desperate to do that. I'm desperate to see my children reflect God's character. Encouragement, when they do that, does that. And finally, the third thing the transfiguration does is it acts as an encouragement to the disciples and to us. See, this public display of Jesus being transfigured was shown, between, was shown before Peter, James, and John. Why was this? Why was Peter, James, and John there? Because the reality is that they too were going to have to carry their cross. And the glorification of Jesus in front of them would act as an encouragement to them too. You know, as we said, Jesus was very aware that he was going to die and be glorified, but he was also aware that the central Christian message of forgiveness through Jesus alone was to be entrusted to the very people he had raised up, of which these three were central to and part of. He knew that. He knew when he took those three disciples up to the mountain that those three were going to have a crucial part to play in the spread of the Christian message. He knew that they were going to be rejected by man for what they believed and the message for which they shared. He knew they were going to face hostility from man for what they believed and the message they shared. You know, indeed, two of them would be murdered for what they believed and the message they shared. So for them to see this scene, to see this transfiguration, was an incredible privilege. 
They saw a glimpse of the heavenly Jesus prior to they themselves dying. But it was an encouragement. What an incredible encouragement this would have been to them and the other disciples. Especially in light of what they would go through. The fact that Elijah and Moses were there showed the disciples that this heavenly glorification, we'll call it, I'm trying not to use too much jargon, wasn't just restricted to Jesus, but was restricted to others. Was given to others, should be was a better way of putting it. So for them, when they are carrying their cross after Jesus' death, they're carrying an image of, yes, the same thing of Jesus being glorified and in that moment and transfiguration and being as an encouragement for what is to come. The disciples have that same encouragement. So we can go through this because we know what is coming. We know the glory and sitting with the Father and heaven awaits us once we die. We can go through this. We can carry our cross because we, Christ is with us, the Holy Spirit is with us, and we know what comes after. Incredible encouragement. Now the truth is that like these disciples, if we too put our trust in God, put our trust in a God that calls us my son, then we too inherit the very thing which Jesus and Moses and Elijah inherited here. And we too are forgiven for our sins and live with God forever. Holding on to this image of Jesus glorified gives amazing strength and encouragement, even at the darkest of times. Because those same promises that the Father was saying to his Son, those same declarations of love that the Father at Transfiguration was saying to the Son, are the same promises he holds over us. That a greater glory after death waits for us all. That we belong to a Father that calls us Son. And that we are loved and belong and will do for all time. Shall we stand? I'm just going to pray. I just want to encourage you just to just to allow God just to come now by the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to go into specifics, but the Holy Spirit will. Holy Spirit, I just pray. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it helps shape us and we can live our life by it, but it is a rock that we can place our feet on in every circumstance that will never give way. Let me just pray, Holy Spirit, if there are aspects of your word here that you would want to speak to our lives specifically. I just pray, Holy Spirit, do that now amongst my dear brothers and sisters here. Come, Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for your unconditional, absolute love of your son, Jesus. We thank you that you are a faithful God and that the same love that you have for Jesus, you have for us. 
Thank you that you love us as you did your son. And we pray, we pray, Father, help us be men and women who declare our love for our children. Help us be men and women who encourage our children. And Father, I pray, help us be the best fathers and mothers we can be. Help us, Holy Spirit, what can be really tough sometimes, help mould and shape our children into, through the Holy Spirit into what you would want them to be. Help us with humility to do that, with compassion to do that, with strength to do that, with resilience to do that. Keeping you right at the centre. And I pray in tough times, Father, help us, help us to hold on to this amazing provision of our loved ones and the faithfulness of God who raised Jesus from the dead. And will do the same for us. Uh, yeah. yeah. We thank you, Lord. I thank you for all of your provision. We thank you for every father and mother, every gran, every auntie, uncle who has encouraged and poured words of love into our lives. Thank you for every single one of them in our own lives. We thank you for that provision. We thank you for the provision of Jesus. And we pray, Lord, to be with us, continue to be with us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.